at first pass, this is a strange text when we're talking about stewardship. But really, it's kind of strange all the way around. Perhaps we heard about that metaphor in the beginning. Maybe it was a familiar phrase. Seed-sized faith moving trees, or in Mark's gospel, mountains, into the ocean. But then it ended up with words we probably aren't as familiar with or skip whenever we can. Difficult words about slaves and servants and masters that just grate on our 21st century ears. What does this have to do with stewardship? You have every right to ask. And I think everything. Because stewardship is so much more than money. So much more than our time, talent, and treasure. Those things are expressions of a life of stewardship and are not to be confused with the greater teaching about being faithful with little or with much, with whatever we have. That's what Jesus has been emphasizing ever since he told that confusing story about praising a dishonest manager and then telling us a story about a poor man named Lazarus and a rich man with no name. What does this have to do with stewardship? Remember that story from a couple of weeks ago about the baptism of warriors who wanted to keep their fighting arm unchanged by the grace and mercy and love of God. And that stewardship is about getting completely wet. It's about committing to going all in with God. Stewardship is about looking at ourselves and discovering whatever it is that we want to keep dry, and then immersing whatever that is in the waters of baptism and giving up individual control by giving everything back to God. So stewardship then is also discipleship, faithfully committing ourselves to the way of life that Jesus embodies. So when the disciples in this text realized what all this commitment entailed, it's no wonder they sound a little desperate. Make our faith greater. Please increase our faith. That sounds really hard. Well, it is. And I appreciate that the disciples are struggling with immersing themselves completely into a life of faithfulness. Because then they're like me. Then they're like us. Committing myself to a way of life and a set of values that are different from the lifestyles and values promoted by Western culture is a daily challenge. And I pray some version of increase my faith, Lord, just about every day. So it irritates me a little bit that Jesus seems irritated with the question. Why is he annoyed? In reading and preparing for Free For All, we talked about the fantastic reflection that Debbie Thomas, she's the director of Children and Family Ministries and at Episcopal Church in um, Palo Alto, California. She writes, as she unpacks this plea, increase my faith, what that means to her. 
Sometimes, she says, I'm asking for the faith that moves mountains. I want a supernatural ability to make God do what I want. Sometimes when I ask to increase my faith, I'm asking God to give me an intellectual booster shot, an increased mental capacity to affirm the more challenging and tricky parts of Christianity, like the virgin birth, the resurrection, and the second coming. And sometimes, she says, I'm asking for an antidote to anxiety. God, please take away the fear that I feel as I face your invisibility and your silence. Grant me certainty so I'll feel happier, holier, stronger, and braver. Rewire my brain so that it is impossible to doubt you. I love that. Rewire my brain and my heart so that it is impossible for me to doubt you. So when we sit with that question, why do we pray that prayer to increase our faith? We start examining the assumptions that are behind the question about what we think more faith will help us do or help us get. We come to realize that I think what Jesus is really saying is you don't need to ask for more faith. You already have enough. Stop focusing on your scarcity and realize the abundance that's right in front of you. You have me, Jesus says. You have enough faith. He turns the question of faith away from an issue of quantity implying that we need a certain amount in order to get the particular result. He shifts it from quantity to one of sufficiency. And Jesus does this by telling a story, looking at the nature around him and saying, well, if you have faith the size of a tiny mustard seed, then comparing that to, of all the trees and shrubs around, there's a mulberry tree or in some other translations, a sycamore tree, both known for their very dense and complicated root systems. So pulling them up to put them anywhere takes an immense amount of effort. Making the hyperbole contrast that even the smallest amount of faith is enough for what the disciples have been tasked to do in the service of God in the world. So there's an echo here, too, of last week's passage about the rich man and Lazarus. When the rich man pleads with Father Abraham that Lazarus be sent to warn his brothers so they could change their ways. And Abraham tells the rich man, well, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Which means Abraham is saying, your brothers already have what they need in order to know how to act properly. And so the disciples in this story already have enough faith for what they are required to do. 
which means then that faith is not just a question of belief in or increased mental capacity for certainty. Faith is a matter of action because. Faith is a verb and not just a noun. And when we think of faith as a verb, faith as action, we can look back through all of the Gospels, but particularly in Luke, where Jesus responds in basically the same way to people who seek him out, where he says, your faith has saved you, or your faith has made you well. He says this to parents who have come to him on behalf of their children for healing. He says this to four friends who lower down another friend by cutting a hole in a roof. They were that determined to get, her, to get their friend close to Jesus. He says it to a woman who pushes her way through crowds just to touch the edge of his robe. And he says it to a Samaritan who comes back to say thank you after being cured of leprosy. The common theme connecting all of these stories is that the declaration of Jesus, that their faith has saved them, wasn't so much their belief as much as what their believing inspired them to do, to take a risk for something greater than themselves. All these people knew was to turn towards Jesus, to go wherever he was, and show by their actions they were willing to lean into God's goodness, mercy, and love. Their faith was a lived response to what they knew. So in this sense, faith is simply showing up where we're expected to show up. Because the life of faith is as straightforward as a servant making their master dinner, as ordinary as a hired worker fulfilling the terms of their contract. It's that easy and it's that hard. Just show up where God expects you to show up. So we don't need to be running after the extraordinary. We simply need to get on and do that with which we have been tasked, that which we know to be the work of the kingdom as it grows out of our ordinary everyday lives. Faith isn't about fireworks. It's not meant to dazzle. Faith is simply recognizing our tiny place in relation to God's enormous creative love, and then showing up to fill that place with our whole lives. When we recognize this as our call and live it out, we are being good stewards of our faith as we put it into practice. You know, we are in a season of life at Providence where we have great opportunities to practice being good stewards of our faith, of living out what we know and believe. Next Sunday, at our regular business meeting, we will be discerning how God is leading us in restructuring the way our ministry teams meet and work together. 
and we'll also be discussing our financial health and preparing for the upcoming year. In both of these areas, there's been a sense of, Lord, increase our faith. From the perspective of thinking we don't have enough faith, or people, or money, or participation, or understanding, or patience, to do what we think needs to be done so that we won't ever struggle. Having faith, even having enough faith, whatever enough means, doesn't mean we won't ever struggle with unbelief or mistrust or anxiety or have to be frugal from time to time. Having faith means leaning hard into God's abundance. Having faith means pursuing God and the things of God even when that pursuit feels pointless or painless or doesn't mean we're going to make a balanced budget from where we're sitting right now. Because faith, let me tell you, is not looking back at last year's budget and trying to get our numbers for next year lower. Paul knew I was going to say that, so you don't have to rat me out. Faith is the courage and imagination to ask the question when it comes to our budget planning and our ministry teamwork, God, what are you calling us to do in this upcoming year? And remembering all that God is capable of. Faith is trusting Jesus one step at a time, day by day, for the long haul. Faith is the lived challenge, lived response, lived challenge and lived response to the blessing set before us. Begin where we are, with who we are, with what we have, and work quietly and consistently knowing we are growing and developing our skills and understanding of how God is working in us because God is not done, not by a long shot with us. As Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us, a great deal of time and energy is wasted when we look constantly for the key to the treasure box of more. All we lack is the willingness to imagine that we already have everything we need. The only thing missing, she says, is our consent to be where we are. So hear that invitation today to show up and be where we are, to live the life we are living, and trust that the God who calls us is faithful as we are led along the way that leads to life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.